0: This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast episode number
1: 89. Welcome
0: to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. When learning how to invest, we're consistently told to conduct our due diligence on the investments that we're considering buying. Yet, almost all of us haven't actually been trained on how to analyze the investments that we're considering so that we choose the ones that are right for our particular situation. So to help remedy this, I thought it would be good to give listeners a bit of a training on how to actually interpret the figures and terminology that we see used here in Canada when we're considering purchasing an investment. Now, this is obviously a very large topic, as there are many types of investments, so I thought we could start with learning how to understand bonds, especially bond ETFs. We've definitely seen some drops in the markets recently, and I suspect many investors are wondering about holding bonds, and if they are holding the right types of bonds, and how to actually interpret the data that you see when you're looking up information about a bond ETF that you maybe own or are considering buying. To help me with this, I have Danielle Nezzle back on the show. Danielle and her team actually created and continue to manage the largest bond ETF in Canada. And in case you're curious, that ETF is ZAG, so Z-A-G from BMO ETFs, which when I recently checked now has over 5.8 billion in net assets. Danielle is the vice president over at BMO ETFs, and I thought it would be great for us to actually get some training from her on how to interpret the fact sheets that we all see when we look up any type of bond ETF, no matter who the provider actually is. Now, my goal is that this gives you the knowledge to be more confident in your investing and hopefully helps relieve some anxiety that you may feel when it comes to choosing your own investments or helping ensure that you are in the types of investments that are the best fit for you. Now, just before we jump into the interview, I just want to give a quick announcement that I'll be hosting the Canadian Financial Summit again this year, and I have free tickets for you. So the conference is 100% online, so there's no travel required. It's specifically for Canadians. It's taking place in the fall, and my co-host and I are bringing on some of Canada's top personal finance experts to share their best practices with the goal to help you reach your financial independence number years earlier. So whether your goal is to retire early, invest better, lower your fees, pay less in taxes, or just optimize your finances, I hope you'll join me again this year. The past guests of the summit have been in hundreds of media articles from major news and financial publications in Canada, such as the Globe and Mail, Financial Post, Global News, CTV, Yahoo Finance, and many more. And I'm giving away free access to all the educational interviews and presentations. So to get the links to stream everything for free, once it's released, just go go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. And you can just sign up there. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. All right, I look forward to seeing you there. And now let's get into the interview. All
1: right, Danielle, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Cornell. I love being on this podcast.
0: It's great to have you back. You guys have pretty much the largest bond ETF in Canada. So I thought who better to ask about bonds (laughs) than the creator of basically the largest bond in Canada. So it's really exciting to have you on and get the information really right from the source. Now, to get started with the questions, investors place a lot of time deciding how much of the portfolio should go into bonds versus stocks. Yet when it comes to bonds, there are several different types and they can each behave differently. Can you speak to the different types of bond ETFs out there And what differences can we expect from them, especially when it comes to changing interest rates and different economic climates?
1: Sure. Sure, Cornell. So maybe we'll just start by saying we've had a rough go in markets for 2022 so far. And what's been really interesting is we've seen equity markets cool off or sell off, but we've also seen fixed income cool off and sell off. And we'll unpack all this today during the podcast. But it is important for investors to know that it, depending on their objectives, their risk tolerance, their time horizon, investors still may need a portion of their portfolio in bonds or in fixed income. Because fixed income provides stability, generally less volatility than equity markets do. And then traditionally, it's there for steady income generation. Now I know with rates being so low as they have over the past, you know, five, 10 years, it hasn't really been there as much for income. But now with rates rising up, we're seeing a little more income come off of bonds again. So when we're thinking about understanding the different types of bonds and the different types of fixed income available for investors, there's kind of two uh, pillars you can start with. And the first is duration. So how long or short is the bond in terms of its term to maturity? So is it a short-term bond, a mid-term bond, or a long-term bond? Short-term is about generally one to five years. Mid-term, you're looking about five to 10 years. And then long-term bonds are 10 plus years. And then the other part or the other pillar to think about is the credit of that bond. So what's its credit rating? Is it issued by... The federal government. So this is a AAA most secure bond. Is it a provincial bond, or is it issued by corporation? And then, if a corporation issues it, there'll be differing credit ratings along the scale from investment grade all the way to high yield. So this is kind of the top down way to look at different types of bonds. What's fabulous about ETFs is that investors can access all these different types of the bond market using an ETF that trades on the exchange. So remember, bonds don't trade on the exchange. Bonds trade, we call it over the counter. So you need a broker to deal those bonds, or you need to go through an investment advisor. And historically, investors like you or I, Cornell, who are DIY investors, couldn't just go on our direct broker's accounts and buy bonds. Using ETFs, you can do that. And we'll get into all the different types of bond ETFs you can choose from.
0: So when you're talking about how you and I, for example, can't just go out and buy bonds if it wasn't for ETFs, are we talking about individual bonds?
1: Correct. I personally can't open up my online trading account and buy a bond. Let's say like a Rogers telecommunications bond or a Bank of Montreal bond. I can't do that. Bonds trade, it's called over-the-counter. So they don't trade on the exchange like equities do. So that's a really important distinction. But with the beauty of ETFs and with the innovation of ETFs, an ETF trades on the exchange, but it holds all the bonds within it. So you get access to fixed income investing very easily. Whereas before, you would not have been able to do that.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So it seems like the two really big benefits is one, what you mentioned is the ease of being able to basically purchase bonds because you can just anybody can go when the market's open and buy a bond ETF very simply instead of. Setting up meetings and trying to figure things out. And well, which bond? Because there's thousands of them. So, and I guess the other big benefit it sounds like is the diversification piece. A bond is essentially a loan. And so instead of just lending one company money or just the government money, you're able to have a basket of these. And so, because so if any one of them fails or whatever the case may be, all your eggs are not in that one basket in that one company. And so it seems like a much safer thing because. Of the diversification. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We always say ETF diversification is an amazing benefit for investors, just helps to lower the overall utility of the portfolio versus a single stock picking.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think if somebody is looking, okay, I want to buy a bond, well, that opens up a whole can of worms, right? As well, how do I get it? Which one's a good deal? Which one's not? And it's not as diversified. And so it creates a lot of questions and A lot of paralysis analysis, I imagine, as well. Whereas with the bond ETFs, you can just buy the whole basket and it just makes life so much easier, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. So, when examining all these different types, I can see it being overwhelming for some investors when they do a search and they see dozens of different bond ETFs out there from all the different providers. And one may begin to wonder whether they should pick and choose individual bond ETFs or whether they should just hold one large aggregate bond ETF, like Zag, for example, which holds all these different types of bonds in a diversified manner. So for those struggling with this question, what's a good way of approaching it?
1: So I think you have to ask yourself, what type of investor are you? Are you an investor who just needs a fixed income portion of your portfolio? You want to set it and forget it. You're not actively managing your portfolio. You're not looking at it every day. An aggregate bond exposure like a ZAG which is BMO's aggregate bond ETF, could be something for you to consider. Now, I'll just say when we talk about aggregate bonds, we're talking about the entire bond universe. And we'll use Canada as an example. So the entire bond universe in Canada, it's divided amongst federal bonds, provincial bonds, and corporate bonds. And all those corporate bonds are investment grade. So that's what you get in that kind of nice and tidy packaged ETF of like an aggregate bond like a ZAG. Now, Alternatively, if you're an investor who has high conviction on interest rates, on inflation, or you're really plugged in on where the market's going, how it's moving, you can elect to be a little more tactical in your fixed income portfolio approach. And you can actually find an ETF that pinpoints a specific segment of the fixed income market, which might be outperforming other segments of the fixed income market. So, Cornell, I shared a graphic with you that I was hoping you could post for our listeners to look at after. But really what it is, and I'll describe it, it shows the different areas of the Canadian fixed income market every single year by calendar year going back to 2008 and how they've performed. And when you look at this visual Cornell, what you'll see, and it's all color-coded, so I always call it looks like a bowl of jelly beans my jelly bean chart. (laughs) There's a different segment of the fixed income market in Canada that does the best each year. And there's a reason for that because the market environment changes. So interest rates might be rising. Interest rates might be dropping. Inflation might be rising or dropping. There might be economic shock like a COVID-19 or a financial crisis that uh, rattles credit markets. So all of these things factor into what outperforms other areas of the market, whether it's short term outperforming long term, long term outperforming short term, credit outperforming government debt, or the cycle really determines that. Mm -hmm. And if you look at this chart, what you'll see is that the aggregate exposure, so something like a ZAG, is sort of your steady eddy, middle of the pack return year after year. It's never on the top and it's never on the bottom. And that's because it's the most diversified exposure because it holds all the segments in one basket. So every year there's always a segment working for it, and there's always a segment maybe slightly out of favor, which gives it that overall diversified kind of approach with that kind of middle ground performance year after year. So kind of going back to your question, it really depends how active you wanna manage that fixed income portion of your portfolio and how much conviction you have in what's going on. So for example, this year with rates going up, we're seeing short-term bonds outperform long-term bonds, and we're seeing more safe assets like federal bonds outperform corporate or say credit bonds.
0: Wonderful. And yeah, for everybody listening, if you do want to see that chart, uh, what I've done is created a, a quick kind of easy to remember link. So if you go to Build Wealth Canada ca slash 88, just the number 88. That's going to redirect you to the show notes for this particular episode. And so I'm going to have the chart there as well as any other resources and links that we mentioned in the episode. So it's just buildwealthcanada.ca slash 88, just the number 88. So yeah, definitely enjoy that. And thanks, Danielle, for providing that there's definitely sort of this decision investors need to make am i going to be active am i going to be passive we we talk a lot about that when it comes to stocks right am i just going to buy like buy let's say ZEQT and just buy sort of the market as a whole in terms of equities or internationally or am i going to try to pick and choose and try to pick the winners and that kind of a thing so would it be fair to say that with bonds it's actually a similar kind of thing where if you want to be purely passive you just get something like ZAGs so or ZAG and then you're basically okay. I've got the bond piece covered, and then you're just really deciding, okay, how much do I want in bonds versus stocks? Or you can take a more active approach and say, okay, I think interest rates are going to go this way. I think the environment is going to change this way. And at that point, you're sort of you're creating, in a way, more work for yourself, more potential upside. Would that be Would that be accurate to say?
1: Yeah, exactly. So you have that choice of the aggregate exposure. You own the entire bond market in Canada that can fill your fixed income requirement for your portfolio, or perhaps you're at home, you know, a little more plugged in. Okay, I see rates are rising. Does that mean I want to shorten up duration in my portfolio? And if so, you can go out and buy a short term federal bond exposure ETF like a ZFS or a short term corporate bond exposure like a ZCS. So you have the tools to do that. As an investor at home which is pretty cool because you know looking back this kind of management on the fixed income side of the portfolio was only done by active managers at institutions so now investors at home actually have the tools with etfs to have that kind of portfolio management if they choose to do so
0: and i remember my other we're having an interview in the past and past episodes we talked about how you don't always have to be all in on one particular strategy so so there might be some people that are just okay i'm going to be purely passive So I'm just going to get ZAG and then that covers up the bond portion of portfolio and I'm done. And then there's others that maybe want to be very active and just like not even touch the aggregate one and just pick and choose individual ones. But there's that middle ground too, I remember when it comes just like with equities, right? Where you might have your sort of core where a big portion of it is just in something like ZAG, but then maybe you think, okay, I think that things are going to go a bit differently. And so you can sort of overweight yourself on some of these individual other ETFs in the bond market if you think that things are going to go a certain way. Would that apply to bonds as well?
1: Yeah, exactly. And there are many bond ETFs out there for investors to pinpoint exactly a segment of the market if they choose to go that route.
0: Mm -hmm. And does a rising interest rate environment like we are in now change how we should be thinking about bonds?
1: Yes. So... I think it's really interesting because, Cornell, you and I probably haven't really faced a rising rate environment to this extent in our investment Uh, careers. (laughs) I certainly haven't. So you have to wind the clock back pretty far to get a rate, rate environment like this and an inflation environment like this. So I think there's a lot of investors at home trying to figure out what's going on because when they open up their portfolio statements and they see their equity side of the portfolio has dropped and the fixed income side of the portfolio has dropped, this could be a bit unsettling or a little bit shocking. So I think it's important for investors to understand the climate we're in or the market environment we're in so they can interpret those performance numbers better or or more informed. So right now we're seeing Interest rates rise and they're rising very fast. And the Bank of Canada, as we're recording this, Cornell, I'm sure by the time you publish it, it will have already been announced, but the Bank of Canada is, or it's already being priced in that they're going to do another 50 point rate hike, which has been a lot of rate hike so far this year. So investors need to be aware of important, something very important with Finance 101. Bond prices have an inverse relationship with interest rates. So what this means is, as interest rates rise, the price of the bond will fall. And that's the way it is. And conversely, as interest rates go down, the price of the bond will go up. So right now, we're in this environment where bonds have had their worst two quarters on record since in over 30 years. And this is all a reaction to how quickly rates are rising. So I think it's important for investors just to understand that when they open up their portfolio statements and they see fixed income dropping, you know, almost like an equity ETF would in some cases. Mm -hmm. So again, something to think about when you're doing investing, just educate yourself on what's going on in the market environment that will really help you interpret your returns in your portfolio. Now, the kind of how we addressed earlier, Cornell, for investors who are aware of the environment we're in, are aware we're in a rate hiking cycle, want to protect themselves against duration risk. We call it duration risk. They can think about shortening up the duration in their portfolio. So buying just short-term bond ETFs instead of midterm or long-term. So that's something, that's a way that investors can mitigate some of the duration risk that we're seeing right now.
0: And so I assume at that point, the trade-off is, okay, you're doing shorter term. And so the interest rate you're receiving might not be like the yield is not as high, but you're not going through that risk by holding something like a 10-year plus bond. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yes. The shorter term bonds, the safer you go in the risk spectrum, the less return potentially you're going to make because the more risk you take on, theoretically, you have more opportunity for growth, but obviously more opportunity for volatility as well. So shortening up the duration of your portfolio makes it a less volatile, safer portfolio. And then thinking about bonds like federal bonds over corporate bonds also help to mitigate any risks in this type of environment.
0: Hey there, just want to do a quick intermission to let you know that I teamed up with some of the top personal finance and investing experts here in Canada, and we decided to make all our courses available Two Canadians on a single platform. And as a Build Wealth Canada listener, you can get access to all of it for free for a limited time. No matter where you are on your financial independence journey, the courses cover different areas of personal finance, whether it's passive index investing, which is my course, advanced investing strategies, making sure you have enough for retirement, real estate investing, and much more. There are over 100 plus hours of video training courses, a community chat room, where you can ask and structures, your questions, live workshops and Q and A's, spreadsheets, downloads, templates, and much more. So I hope you check it out. And to make it not risky for you at all, I created a special link where you can access all the courses, plus ask your questions for free for 14 days. It's essentially a free 14 day trial that's only available to Build Wealth Canada listeners. Everyone else has to pay right away to get access. And in the free trial, you'll get access to everything so that you can learn an absolute ton and see if it's right for you. So to get access to everything for free for the 14 days, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash training. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash training. I hope you check it out and I hope to see you there. And now back to the interview. Now you mentioned about the inverse relationship between bonds and, and interest rates. And so at what point do we start to take advantage of those higher interest rates in our bond portfolio to help offset the drop in price that occurs when interest rates go up?
1: Okay, so again, I think it just depends what kind of investor you are, what your expectations are of the market. If you're an investor who has a lower appetite for risk, again, thinking about maybe shortening up the duration, rotating into something like federal bond exposure, government bonds. I have seen, and we're starting to see this from institutional investors, okay, who have much different objectives than a DIY investor. But I always like to keep a pulse on what institutions are doing because I think they're usually a few steps ahead of the game. They're projecting maybe a recession in the next couple of years. They're projecting that all the rate hikes have been priced into the market. So they have a very long-term view that long-term bonds could potentially outperform because right now long-term bonds have declined the most. Technically, they're on sale or you can get in at at an attractive valuation. And so we're seeing some flows going into long-term bonds with that expectation of that longer-term view of as we go into a recession, rates will then have to drop to get us out of the recession, and then these long-term bonds will rally. So again, this is the thought process involved when you're thinking about getting out of an aggregate exposure and getting into more tactical exposures. And you really do have to consider your risk spectrum and your time horizon as well before making these types of decisions.
0: Awesome. And often when I see a model portfolio from professional in the industry, the bond portion of the portfolio includes a bond ETF that contains only Canadian bonds. And Zag, if I'm not mistaken, also holds exclusively different types of Canadian bonds. Is that right?
1: That's correct. It has, I think, 1,400 different bonds in it.
0: Okay. So why is that when equities, on the other hand, you know, we want international diversification, but when it comes to bonds, I know you can purchase bond ETFs that have international bonds too, but typically just from what I'm seeing in a lot of model portfolios and recommendations from other people, things like that, it's typically, okay, for a Canadian investor, you're okay doing something like a Zag where it's you know Canadian bonds, not, you're not trying to get that international bond exposure. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think the domestic bond exposure, typically, it's very diverse. So I said something like a Zag has over 1,400 bonds in it, different ranges of duration, different ranges of credit. And it fulfills the need of most investors for that fixed income sleeve. Remember, we think about fixed income, we want that stability We wanna provide a little more safety in our portfolio, less volatility. So the Canadian bond market does that quite well. Now, remember that bonds don't trade on the exchange. So trading international bonds has so many more difficulties with it than trading a Canadian bond. There's so much more research. And if you think about trying to understand, let's say a German bond, getting information on how it's trading, how it's valued, the company it's attached to is just a lot more work. And it's something that I don't think that the trade-off is there, the value is there for most Canadian investors, especially DIY investors. So this is why Canadians generally stick to the Canadian bond exposure for their fixed income portfolios. But Cornell I will highlight that the US bond market does offer some unique exposures or more diversification exposures that the Canadian bond market doesn't have. And an example of this is high yield bonds. So in Canada, we actually don't really have a high yield market. But in the US, this is a very developed part of the fixed income spectrum is high yield bonds. Now, of course, you're probably thinking high yield, that sounds very risky. They're definitely more risky than an investment grade bond less risky than equities. So we tend to say that high yield bonds trade a little bit more like equities, but that's an exposure you can get through an ETF is getting US high yield bond exposure. Another exposure that's available in the US that you can access with an ETF as a Canadian investor are TIPS bonds. We've been talking a lot about these. So these are treasury inflation protected securities. They're issued by the US Treasury. So they're government bonds, but they're inflation protected. So this is an area of the market that a lot of Canadian investors have been looking right now to seek out inflation hedges within their portfolio. Again, accessing these bonds in a Canadian listed ETF like a Zed tip.
0: Okay. So yeah, that was kind of my follow-up question is because if you're looking to purchase a bond or bonds of that nature on the US market, are there Canadian listed ETFs that get those so that you don't have to worry. You as the DIY investor don't have to worry about currency exchange, converting your Canadian dollars to US dollars and then buying it on the US exchange. So it sounds like you said that does exist in Canada.
1: Yeah. So we actually have the broadest fixed income ETF suite in Canada and it's designed for the use of Canadian investors. So you can buy a high yield bond ETF, like a ZJK or a ZHY, we offer it in hedged and unhedged currency, so you can decide if you want that U.S. dollar currency or not. We have Z Tip, again, with the currency options. We also offer it in the U.S. dollar. And we do offer also the U.S. corporate bonds and U.S. credit. And where this becomes interesting is that the credits, they're the corporate bonds base in the U.S. is exposed to some different sectors than here in Canada. So you get that sector diversification.
0: That's good to hear that. Yeah, that that's an option available. Cause yeah, for anybody that's maybe more, I don't know, intermediate level and up listening to the show, you might already know once you start getting into the US listed ETFs, let's say things get a bit more complex because now, okay, you've got to convert your cane dollars to US. And so there's fees for that. There's more and less expensive ways of doing that, like Norbert's Gambit, for example. But again, that adds a whole nother layer of complexity. And if you do it wrong, the fees you pay may be pretty high that are going to offset the returns. So then you get into this whole thing, well, is it really worth it? That kind of a thing. And so for a lot of investors that don't want to go to that level of complexity and don't want to have to deal with that, it's nice to know that there is actually Canadian listed ETFs that you can just purchase on the exchange with Canadian dollars, and you're still getting that exposure that's happening in the bond market in the US. So I think that's very relevant because not everybody wants to go, (laughs) you know, do the kind of things that I do, right? Where you're doing Norbert's Gambit and all that. I realize that's a small segment of the population. So that's great to know that these options exist where you can still get that exposure without having to really add on additional complexity. So thank you. One of the Canada's largest bond ETFs, Zag, which I believe you you mentioned before we went on the interview, is actually the largest Mm -hmm. Canadian bond ETF, which is awesome, is designed to replicate the FTSE Canada Universe Bond Index is this index a standard that many other bond ETF providers are using as well? And for us index investors, how can we make sure that the ETF we choose is really trying to replicate the correct index? Because you know we see on the fact sheets, we always see, okay, we're trying to replicate this, or this is the index we're benchmarking to. But I mean, for somebody that's maybe not that familiar with all the different indexes out there, and there's so many of them, you know, how can we make sure that we're sort of picking and looking at the right one?
1: Yeah, so the FTSE at Canadian Aggregate or the Canadian Universe Bond Index, that index is actually generally the benchmark, the broad proxy of the Canadian bond market. It's cited by a lot of active managers who are, you know, work to beat the index. And so it represents the short, mid and long bonds in Canada, all federal, provincial and corporate issuers, and all the bonds in there are investment grade. So when we say investment grade, we're talking about a triple B rating or higher. Because remember, there really isn't a high yield market in Canada. So investors can actually do their research on the index they're investing in. Sometimes this is on the provider website at BMO. We put this information right up front on the website. We say what the index is, what its strategy is. So investors understand exactly the exposure that they're getting. But the index provider themselves offer fact sheets. So you can always Google FTSE. Canadian Universe bond fact sheet, and you can get more information on that index if you so choose. So a lot of information out there for investors if when they're doing their homework. And
0: when evaluating which bond ETF or ETFs to use for our investment portfolio, we should be looking at the fact sheets of those bond ETFs to get a better understanding of what they are and how they are likely to behave. Yet most of us haven't been trained on how to read these, especially in regards to what the different terms mean. So I was hoping that we could go through a real-life bond ETF fact sheet, and you could tell us what some of the less obvious terms mean and what we should be looking for. And so I thought for the example, we could use Zag, so Z-A-G as the examples. And listeners, can go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash Zag, so just Z-A-G, and then that way you can actually follow along to what Danielle is talking about. And again, I've mentioned Zag multiple times. And again, you know, the reason I want to focus on this specific one is that one, it's the largest one in Canada. It has a lot of Canadian investors investing in it already. And then also when I did my own research, you know, back in the day, this is the one that kept coming up when I looked at reputable people that I respect in the industry and they had. You know, model portfolios, things like that, I would always see Zag mentioned constantly. Same with like the Money Sense top ETFs guide, I would see Zag in there as well. And so Zag has pretty much become sort of my default bond ETF holding. And so obviously do your own research and do your own due diligence, but I just want to say kind of, okay, why am I, just so you don't think I'm randomly just picking some <laughs> ETF out of the hat, Zag I think is just a really good example to use when analyzing the ETFs. So yeah. So again, if you want to follow along, it's buildwealthcanada.ca slash Zag. And that will take you right away to the fact sheet on the BMO site. And then you can kind of learn how to interpret these things. And then these sort of lessons Danielle's giving you as well, I mean, you can use that for other bond ETFs as well. Like it doesn't have to be just BMO ones because these terms are used just in the industry in general. So, you know, whether you're a BMO ETF holder or not, regardless, you're going to get value from it for sure. So I'll cut it off there. And then Danielle, if you maybe want to jump in and take us through some of these terms so that we actually can learn how to read these. Cause most, if not all of us never learned this in school.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know they should, they should learn it in school, but good. You're listening to the podcast as we'll talk about it and teach you it now. So the fact sheet is on our website. A lot of this information is actually just on our website though, in general, right on that key facts portion of the website, but you can open up the fact sheet as well. So when you open up the fact sheet, you see things like the portfolio strategy the benchmark info. Okay. So uh, Cornell, this is, we're asking about the index. You get a little more information on that index. And then we usually talk about fund benefits. So who is this ETF designed for? Under your fund details, you get some interesting things like inception dates. You can see how long that ETF has been listed in trading. For fixed income investors, distribution frequency, that's usually a big one to look out for. You can see how frequently you'll get cash distributions from that ETF. So here on Zag, you can see that that happens monthly. Fund characteristics. So again, when you're doing your homework on ETFs, sometimes this is an important section to look at. So you can see things like net assets. How big is that ETF? You know, Zag is over 6 billion. Like you mentioned, Cornell, is the largest fixed income ETF in Canada. So $6 billion in assets. Then we get to some very specific terminology that Unique to fixed income, and you won't see these terms on the equity fact sheets. So, I thought we could just talk through them briefly so investors understand what they mean. So, when you're looking at a fixed income ETF, it will always have a yield to maturity. So, the yield to maturity is the total rate of return that will have been earned by a bond when it makes all its interest payments and then repays the original principal value. So we can think about this as the bond's internal rate of return. Now the YTM moves, it changes depending on the market environment. The bond coupon stays static. So this is something like a really important thing to differentiate between YTM and coupon. The coupon is the annual interest rate paid on a bond and it's expressed as a percentage of the face value of the bond. And then it's paid from the issue date All the way to maturity. Now, when interest rates move around, that value of the bond will change, and that's why the YTM changes. But the coupon stays the same. It's always referencing back to the price of the bond at maturity. So, two important terms to understand when you're looking at fixed income ETFs. Duration is another really important metric. So, I talked a lot today about short term, mid term, and long term. So duration is the measure of the sensitivity of the price of a bond to the change in interest rates. So as we're seeing rates rapidly changing, the duration is going to be a very important factor in you understanding the price of that bond uh, moving. So a shorter duration will drop less in a rising rate environment, a longer duration bond will drop more in a rising rate environment. Flip that around, if rates were dropping, a long duration would go up in price and the short duration would go up in price but less. So I hope that was clear. I hope that wasn't too muddled, but a duration really important, especially in times like today when we're seeing interest rates move so rapidly.
0: So with the weighed average yield to maturity, that's been usually the main one that I looked at when it comes to bonds. Would it be fair to say that that one obviously it includes the interest payments but it factors in sort of the value of the bond as well with respect to interest rates?
1: That's correct. Okay. So that's why it moves. Now, as a bond pull, like comes to the end of its maturity, we say it pulls to par. So it pulls back to, let's say, par value is $100. But before it matures, that bond will move around depending on the rate environment. Mm-hmm. So that's why the YTM will move around.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Sounds good. Yeah, so is looking to purchase a bond ETF, and they're thinking, oh well, how much income roughly? Like you know, if I put, let's say, thousand dollars in, what? And there's monthly distributions. What can I expect to receive in terms of interest payments on the monthly basis if I put a thousand? So if you're doing that sort of math in your head, which one would you recommend looking at?
1: You know what? I didn't highlight this. I would look at the annualized distribution yield because the annualized distribution yield is actually what the ETF pays out on an annualized basis. Because remember, on an ETF, there are fees, so there's always a little bit of the fee each month. It's a monthly distribution that comes off that usually that YTM number. Now, if you're on the BMO website, you can look up under tax and distribution. So if you click that. You can see the distribution history, and then you'll see what the cash distribution per unit is every month for that ETF. So that's something else that you can look for as well.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, similar to looking at a stock ETF, there's the distribution. So in the stocks case, it would be the dividends on the bonds, it's interest. But then there's also the actual value of the bond, just like with stock ETFs, there's the value of the stocks as well. So you're saying annualized distribution yield is sort of that payout that you are getting. However, if interest rates go up, the bond, actual bond values might go down. And so that weighed average yield to maturity number factors that in. So that income coming in, but your bond value might actually drop if interest rates went up. Did I understand that correctly?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Okay. All right. Awesome. This is a good bond education. Thank you. It is. Great topic. (laughs) I went to business school and we never even covered it in this much detail. So this is great. (laughs) Awesome. And yeah, for anybody listening, if you have any sort of follow-up questions, let me know. Feel free to reach out to me, and then you know we can always have Danielle back on and you know kind of tackle some of these questions because it can be a pretty complex uh, topic. But I think this is a really good, I think primer for most of us to be able to try to figure this out and make sense of some of these numbers we're seeing. So next we have two terms that apply to equity ETFs as well, and that's maximum annual management fee and management expense ratio, also known as the MER. Can you explain the difference between the two and how should investors interpret these numbers? when they see them on any ETF in the marketplace?
1: Okay, so the largest difference between your management fee and your MER is tax. So you can't escape tax, we try, but (laughs) we can't. So management fee is what the provider is making and then the MER on top of that, most of the difference is, is tax. Sometimes, I think we're gonna get to this in a little bit, but sometimes there's trading differences some trading expenses that get rolled into that as well, but they're very, very small and sometimes there's none at all. So really the the largest difference you're looking at is tax.
0: Okay, gotcha. And what would you consider sort of a high MER versus a low MER?
1: So let's use Zag as an example. You get the entire bond universe in Canada, 1,400 bonds in a single trade. That's a nine basis points is the MER. So 0.09%. That's very, very low, very competitive especially for the kind of trading, institutional trading that's happening behind that to get you access to all those bonds. If you're looking at U.S. bonds, they're going to be a little bit more expensive, right? Because there's a little more trading execution involved in purchasing bonds in the U.S. market. So something like a ZED tip, which is the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities Bond, is around 17 basis points MER, And then a high yield bond ETF, you're looking around 61 basis points for ZJK or ZHY, the BMO ones. So again, what's really reflected in that is the portfolio management behind the scenes. And there's a lot more work involved in buying a basket of high yield bonds out of the US than there is buying a basket of Canadian bonds here. You can also access active strategies. So active fixed income ETFs are available Again, these are usually higher, 65 basis points or more, because you're paying for the expertise of the active manager.
0: Gotcha. And then ETF factories typically have an annualized performance section where they show how the ETF performed relative to its index. For ETFs that are looking to match the index, what would be considered a reasonable spread between the two versus a concerning number?
1: Okay, so your bogey usually is the MER. So that's usually the difference. So remember, the index is has no fee attached because you can't invest in an index; you invest in the ETF. So the index performance will usually outperform the ETF by that MER amount. Now, a couple things that can impact this also are trading execution. So when the index rebalances, they're assuming the rebalance happens right away at a specific time. It might take our portfolio managers. Several hours to make all those trades to rebalance and the market's always moving. So the price of those bonds might change very, very minutely from when the index was rebalanced. Again, this is a very minute thing that might affect one or two basis points of that tracking error, but also something to look out for. Mm
0: Yeah, because I'm thinking, let's say someone's looking for a bond ETF to add to their portfolio. Let's say just, you know, they're going for the aggregate bond. They just want the sort of the passive approach. And they're considering, you know, the BMO ETFs, they're considering some of the competitors as well. And they're kind of looking at them. And, you know, they'll see that chart, right? Where there's the sort of, okay, well, here's how the index did. Here's how that ETF did. You know, at what point should alarm bells start going off in your head that, okay, this one looks a little bit off. I mean, if they're trying to just mimic the index, why is their performance so much different? So it would have to be basically some sort of difference in excess of the MER because the MER is going to be there regardless. Is there a number where that, that would sort of raise alarm bells in your head about, okay, this seems like something is off here?
1: I think anything greater than a few more basis points in the MER or maybe 10 more basis points than the MER or something like that. Maybe mean, you know, start looking or trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen in certain instances, our ETF outperformed the index. And again, that's just because our trading execution was really, really tight and really good. And we were actually able to get better trades than what the index calculation assumed. So there's always a little bit of tracking error. But again, mm. beyond that MER 10 to 15 basis points, you might want to start looking through your MRFPs, which get sent to you. Usually, they're regulatory documents, and they can describe a little more what's going on in terms of tracking error.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds good, good to know. Yeah, because I mean, usually that that spread should be very little, right? But then I've definitely heard stories of, you know, especially like with certain—I guess not so much the core ETFs that are just trying to mimic the broad market index, but you know, there, there are sort of those niche ones that I've heard where the spreads can get pretty significant. And so, you know, it was like does it warrant more research because it seems a little on the high side? So, yeah, thank you for answering that. One page that seems especially critical to evaluate, whether evaluating a bond ETF or an equity ETF is the holdings page, where we see all the investments that the ETF contains. So let's pretend that you just pulled up a core bond ETF like ZAG, for example, and went to its holdings page. What would you look for and how would you analyze and interpret the data that you see there? And again, for anybody that wants to follow along, you can go to buildwithcanada.ca/zag, and then that will basically forward you there. And then just click on the holdings tab to basically see what Danielle is talking about.
1: Correct. Okay. So I would say that the actual holdings in a fixed income ETF are less relevant than in equity ETFs. You you can look in something like a ZSP and S&P 500 ETF, and I'm sure you recognize every single name that's listed there in the top 10. Apple, Amazon, you know, Tesla, whoever else. When you're looking at a fixed income ETF, so I'm here in, in front of me I have the the 1400 holdings. They're all these bonds and they're different issues, different maturities. They don't make a lot of sense to the standard investor and it doesn't really bring you any value to know every single bond that's in there. But if you scroll down, now this is I think a lot more interesting. Just the breakdown from sector maturity and credit. I think this is what DIYers can really focus on. So in terms of the Canadian bond universe right now, you're looking at a pretty even split between provincial, federal, and corporate bonds, slightly overweight to provincial. And this is because there was a lot of provincial debt that was issued during uh, 2020, 2021 to finance government spending and a lot of things. So we actually saw the provincial bond weight go up a little bit. Generally, you're looking at a very, very even split though. Of course, it's 100% Canada. No surprises there because it's all Canadian bond universe. And then your maturity. So again, this is an interesting pie chart because when you look at it, you realize that, wow, a lot of bonds in Canada are short-term bonds right now. So we're looking at about 42% of the portfolio is one to five years. is five to 10 years, and 30% is 10 to 30 years. And then, if you go back to your fact sheet or your key information or overview page, you can see that interprets to a weighted average duration of about 7.5 for the ETF. So, that's just something interesting to look at. And then your credit allocation. So, remember, we said the aggregate universe, we're looking at triple B and above. Right now, we're sitting about 36% AAA, A, which roughly matches our federal exposure, about 35.3%. So that makes sense because our federal bonds are all triple A. And then you can go down the spectrum there and see all the way down to there's triple Bs of about 11%. So I think that's how I would interpret the holdings on a, a bond ETF. And I wouldn't so much focus on the actual individual bonds.
0: Sounds good. And then, yeah, on the Canadian Financial Summit we have coming up this year, we're going to do something similar, but for uh, stock, so equity ETFs as well. And you know, when you look at that fact sheet, how do you actually interpret it, and how to kind of read it so that you can make a good informed decision? And because you know, you hear a lot about, oh, do your due diligence, due diligence. It's like, okay, well, you know, most of us haven't been trained on how to do that at, in school. And so, how do we actually do that to make sure we're buying what we want to buy? And so that for sure we're going to have Danielle on there as well, and we're going to cover the, you know the equity side of things. So yeah, if you do want free tickets to the summit where Danielle will be presenting as well, yeah, just sign up anywhere on the site at buildwealthcanada.ca just to get on the mailing list, and then once those tickets are available, I'm basically going to send them to you for free. So just put in your email there, and that way I know where to send the tickets. So just that I'd mention that, and yeah, I'm really excited about that session because we're covering months now, and then we're going to do. The equities, which is I think where people get even more excited because it's equities, right? <laughs> it's the
1: nature yeah, for of the sure. beast. <laughs> But it's true, Cornell. You know, we always say do your homework, due diligence, yeah. know what you're buying. But again, we, there's a lot of information out there. It's hard for investors to understand it and interpret it. So that's what we're here for.
0: For sure. And there, and there's so much bad information too, unfortunately, right? Where if you just Google it and then you start reading, you know, how do you know that? that's actually a good source and that they're speaking accurately, right? And so that's, I think that can lead some people astray. Whereas I really enjoy the sessions you and I have together because it's like, well, you're you know, one of the largest, provi- or the largest Canadian provider, right, of, of ETFs. You have entire teams working on this. And so it's really nice to, to pick your brain and, and get this you know right from the source like in this case you guys have the largest you know bond ETF you know who better to <laughs> t- tell us about how to interpret these numbers i mean you, you guys are the ones generating these numbers that we see on the fact sheets so um, yeah so anyways i'm just I, so it's always really fun to do this that's my little side side note <laughs> are there any other areas that you think are critical to look at and if an investor is feeling overwhelmed by the large amount of bond ETFs out there and is getting into a bit of paralysis analysis, what would you recommend as their next step?
1: Okay, so I know we've been talking about a lot of what's going on in the bond market, ways to change your fixed income portfolio, actively manage. That just might not be your investment style and that's totally okay. That's why there's products like ZAG out there for investors to say, hey, I don't wanna analyze the bond market. I just know I need some fixed income in my portfolio is diversified, like we went through the holdings, we went, so you're accessing 1,400 bonds in the Canadian market. That sometimes is enough. And in fact, like we said, it's the largest bond ETF in Canada, there's over $6 billion in it. That's, there's a reason for that. It's a very easy, popular exposure, very efficient for investors to add fixed income to their portfolio and not have to think about it ever again, or for a very long time at least. There are investors out there that are, who really are tactical, who really want to, are learning more about what's going on, who do want to shift their portfolio. We see this in the advisor community a lot, and of course in the institutional uh, space as well. That's why we at BMO created um, ETFs to segment different, different areas of the fixed income market, different areas of the US market, to give the investors who want to make those tactical trades to really give them the tools they need to make those trades. Again, this is an institutional approach or an active management approach. It's available to you as a do-it-yourself investor, which is really neat and really fantastic. It just requires a little more research, a little more portfolio maintenance. And you need to take a bit of a stance on your views of the market before making these these decisions, whether you want to go short, go long, go into government bonds or, or credit or inflation protected or, or what have you. So it depends what kind of invest you are, but there is an ETF out there for you that will match your style, I can, I can tell you that for sure.
0: Yeah, there seems to be quite a big spectrum, right? On the one end, if you want to just keep it simple, just get the aggregate bond index, like a Zag, for example, and you're you're done. You know, and then it seems like the rabbit hole can get really, really deep. Like it could be uh, your whole career could just be just as a bond trader, for example. I'm sure, right? Things like that, where you're doing all these more intricate kind of things, but then now that's your actual whole career. So yeah, there's and then people fall, I guess, among in that spectrum. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about the. Inverse relationship between interest rates and prices and how when interest rates go up, we see bond prices fall. But then, you know, when you hold a bond ETF, it, it, you know, it has so many different bonds they're maturing, you know, a lot of them. And then you get new ones now that get added to that ETF at that higher interest rate, right? So now you're getting kind of more yield from those ETFs to take advantage of these higher interest rates. But the bonds, you know, have also fallen because the old ones you have at those lower interest rates are now worth less. And so one thing that I've always kind of tried to wrap my head around is, well, okay, so how can you really Gauge, I guess, how well it's doing, right? Because on the one end, you're like, well, I lost some money in terms of you know, the bond values going down. But then eventually, if you keep holding on to that, you're going to be able to take it. Those ETFs will begin to hold the bonds at the new higher interest rates. So now you're getting more yield. And so You know, how much am I getting? Does my question make sense? I'm just—I think that's something that maybe investors struggle with, where it's like I'm basically seeing like a capital loss, but my yield's going to be going up in the future. You know, so how do you kind of reconcile all that in your head?
1: Yeah, so there is a lot going on. So you're right. So we're actually seeing rates go up. So any new bonds rolling into the portfolio, being added to the portfolio that are being issued, will be at higher rates. So investors are going to start to see. Well, fixed income investors are going to start to see a pickup in yield. And maybe a return to historical norms for the fixed income space, because I know we've had really low rates in fixed income for such a long time. Uh, in terms of the capital loss part of the equation, we actually put together something at BMO, and perhaps Cornell, I can share it with you to sure. put on your site. It actually goes through the math of your payback period to ride out this kind of fixed income or this bond sell-off right now, and how the rising rates will eventually adjust, and things will. Will temper out down the road. And again, this all depends on the rate environment, right? So, depending on if rates continue to rise or how high they continue to rise or where they kind of stop, will determine that we call a payback period. But what I'll do is I'll share the document with you so you can put it up on your resources so investors can uh, take a deeper look at that.
0: Sure. That'd be great. Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to really encourage investors to look at the total return because I've definitely had conversations with people who are new to this and, you know, they see their the bond value drop and they they're like, oh, look how much I lost. And it's like, well, hold on. That's not the whole story because, yeah, interest rates went up the bond values went down, but you're also been getting collecting interest as well, right? So you've got to factor that into your total return number. You can't just look at the, oh, the ETF value fell down. And so that's my, that's got to be my losses. So I because I'm, I'm just trying to encourage people to always remember, you, you do want to look at that total return. So the income you're receiving plus the capital gains or losses, not just that one of them, because you, you want that holistic picture, right?
1: Yeah. You know what? Our analysts did a really great job of putting something together. I'm going to send it your way for anyone who's listening, who wants to do a deeper dive on that. they did a great job at at explaining it better than I will, because there's a nice visual with payback periods. So I'm going to send that to you Cornell.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And so I'll add that to the show notes as well, along with the other chart where you showed how the different bonds types of bonds perform depending on sort of the different environments. So again, I'll do that. That'll be in the show notes. So just build wealth, Canada, .ca slash 88, just the number 88, and that will automatically redirect you to the show notes with all the resources and, and things like that. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Daniel I think anything like that can really help because I think it's a, I mean, like I said, just from conversations I've had with people, there definitely seems to be confusion. And some people are, are even you know, panicking because they're seeing what's happening in the equity markets and bond markets. And it's like, well, you know, we, we want to make sure we're looking at things holistically, right? As opposed to just focusing on one individual number that doesn't necessarily paint the whole picture. So, again, thank you for for all your knowledge. This is great. Now, for anybody looking to learn more, can you tell us more about ETF Market Insights, the YouTube channel you have, and any other resources listeners may find helpful?
1: Yes. Okay. So, etfmarketinsights.com. We have a ton of resources up there all around ETF investing. And we have a YouTube channel as well. You can link to it from etfmarketinsights.com. We have a weekly episode goes up every Friday at one o'clock. We actually go live on YouTube every Friday at one, but you can watch on demand at any time. And actually, we just did an episode on building a fixed income portfolio. So it's perfect timing. You know, we're getting so many questions from DIY investors right now to try to interpret fixed income markets. It makes total sense. There's a lot going on. So we have our ETF or fixed income ETF portfolio manager on that episode. We're going to get dive deep on what's going on in credit and inflation and rates. So if this is the topic that interests you, please check that out on on our YouTube channel for sure.
0: Awesome. And if anybody has any questions about this, I know with ETF market insights, you you accept questions, then you look through them and then you'll pick some and then you'll actually cover them on the webinars. Can you talk about how someone can submit questions if they have any?
1: Yes, so etfmarketinsights.com, you can submit questions there. We address them at the end of our show. So you have to join the show, watch till the end to get your question answered. And we also have an email that we send out every Tuesday. So if you'd like to sign up for that email, again, you can do that at etfmarketinsights.com. But this, we actually send one of our analyst reports out. We found that a lot of DIYers love this information because it's institutional information they can't access. So we send that out every Tuesday. It just tells you, you know, returns in the market, what's going on, currency valuations, a whole black load of information in there. So if you'd like to receive that, just sign up for it on our website.
0: Awesome. All right, that's wonderful, Danielle. Well, thanks so much again for coming on and sharing the expertise with us. And yeah, you guys have such a wealth of resources and tools and things. So it's, it's I appreciate you coming on and sharing those with us and giving everybody free access to them. Yeah, so so thanks again for coming on. And again, if you want to see those charts, it's buildwithcanada.ca slash the number 88 and you'll be able to go in there and everything that Danielle sends me in terms of, you know, resources education is going to be on there as well. But then, yeah, check out ETF Market Insights. It's awesome. I've been there uh, several times. It's really a great free educational resource and you get to submit questions. So that's a no-brainer in my book. So Danielle, thanks again for coming on And uh, yeah, it's been great having you again. And I look forward to chatting with you on the summit as well. Yeah, thanks.
1: It's so great to be here. I love being on your podcast, Cornell. Thanks so much for having me and we'll see you on the summit.
0: That sounds good. All right, thanks, Danielle. Bye. All right, a big thanks to Danielle for coming on the show and giving us some training. You can get the different graphs and resources that she spoke about over in the show notes, which is over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 89. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the number 89. Also, make sure that you reserve your free tickets to this year's Canadian Financial Summit so you can stream all the interviews and presentations for free. It's a fully online event. You can watch all the presentations and interviews for free from the top personal finance and investing experts in Canada. They'll only be available for a limited time. You'll learn an absolute ton, and I hope to see you there. So that link again to get the free access is over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash summit. And last but definitely not least, be sure to take advantage of the free limited time access to all the investing courses from me and other top Canadian instructors over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash training. No matter where you are on your financial independence journey, the courses cover different areas of personal finance, whether it's passive index investing, which is my course, advanced investing strategies, making sure you have enough for retirement, real estate investing, and much more. There's over 100 plus hours of video training courses, a community chat room where you can ask instructors your questions, live workshops and Q&As, spreadsheets, downloads, templates, and much more. It's essentially a free 14-day trial that's only available to Build Well wealth Canada listeners. Everyone else has to pay you right away to get access. And in the free trial, you'll get access to everything so that you can learn an absolute ton and see if it's right for you. So, to get the access to everything for free for the 14 days, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash training. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash training. I hope you check it out and I hope to see you there. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.